So you're looking for a unique way to show off your company, organization, or event, right? You're drowning in unwanted branded pens, stress balls, and sunglasses? The guys at Keep It Simple Socks have the solution you're looking for. They are your custom sock experts based right out of Central Ohio, specializing in working with you to create and supply your own custom designs. Head on over to Keep It Simple Socks today. That's keepitsimplesocks.com today and get started on working with their designers on creating your own unique custom design sock to stand out from the crowd. Put your best foot forward with Keep It Simple Socks today. This episode contains explicit language. Listener discretion is advised. If you watched MLS Cup in 2018, you witnessed Atlanta United defeat the Portland Timbers as more than 70,000 fans looked on at Mercedes-Benz Stadium, the home venue for Atlanta. Or you might remember Toronto hosting consecutive MLS Cup matches, winning one on their second try in 2017. You might even recall Portland defeating Columbus at Moffray Stadium in 2015, although if you're a crew fan, you've probably blacked it out as a coping mechanism. MLS Cup Finals are currently hosted by the team with the best record of the two participants that season. But that wasn't always the case. You see, Major League Soccer used to hold their championship match in neutral site venues. Foxborough Stadium hosted the inaugural MLS Cup in 1996. And Columbus even hosted MLS Cup back in 2001, in a game that was won by Landon Donovan and the San Jose Earthquakes. For 2008, the selected venue for MLS Cup was what was then known as the Home Depot Center. The naming rights have changed a few times since then, but that soccer-specific stadium in Carson, California, home to the LA Galaxy, worked out well for the crew. As captain of that 2008 crew team, Frankie Haydick will explain. Yeah, I'll be honest. I mean, we felt like the home team. I mean, New York's come from all the way across the country, even further than us. We have more roots on that team in California than almost we had in Columbus in terms of where some of the guys were from. So if there was ever a place to have that game, that was it. Whoa, what a perfect spot for us. Everyone wants to go to L.A. It's always sunny there. It's always nice. The, the vibes are right. And now you're getting a chance to go play in front of your friends, your family. Because, you know, let's be honest, if if it was here or in Columbus or somewhere, you know, you, you bring your immediate family out. Maybe your buddies don't fly out from where you're from. But, man, I had uh, probably 50 to 75 people there, and half of them uh, were all my buddies that drove up from, from San Diego that day. Chad Marshall, the same way. Robbie Rogers, the same, the same way. Duncan, I mean, Duncan went school not even 20 minutes from there and that's where he basically grew up as an American you know so that was home to him so we we were all going into this school man we're gonna get to go uh, play in front of our family um, potentially win a championship in, in the sun and potentially win a championship in a place where for me it first started the black and gold were happy to be in California but they were also prepared for one final battle this is the story of how Columbus won the cup We were just having a blast. I mean, they were all joking and laughing. And meanwhile, you know, the national media is gathering around and they were kind of worried. They're like, Are these guys taking this seriously? You know, are they you know, kind of overconfident? And he talked to the ref, say, Hey, ref, do you hear what he say about my knee, about you want to kick me, whatever? And I talk in Spanish with the ref. I say, Sorry, I'm not speaking English. But who makes a hundred yard run from right back and could get there? No one except Frankie Hayden. We've made soccer a thing in Columbus, and for me, that was a, a real prideful moment. Episode 5, Hollywood Ending. 
I'm J.D. Smith. The players weren't the only ones who were ready to get to California. Ohio falls and winters lead many people to look for any excuse to get to warmer climates, even if it's just for a few days on vacation. Couple that climate with the historic possibilities of seeing the crew win MLS Cup, and it's not hard to figure out why so many crew fans travel to the West Coast for this game. Here's John Clem, one of the founders of the Crew Supporters Union, on the atmosphere before the game. Yeah, I mean, I remember tailgating before the game. Uh, you know, we had a really good crowd. There were a lot of, you know, obviously at the time we had a lot of players that were from SoCal. You know, Chad Marshall's Hank family came over. Robbie Rogers' family like, had some people trying to pop by. And it seemed like we were getting a lot more neutral fan support than, than uh, Red Bull, who had a decent contingent there as well. You know, it, it's funny to think about how how many people actually do travel across the country on such short notice in those in those days compared to, you know, now, generally speaking, that these things are going to always have yet a home venue going forward. We still have to, like, there was a good presence of traveling supporters of that game, more so than I've seen, I guess, maybe at some other neutral site one. The crew arrived a few days before the game to become acclimated to their surroundings and get in some final preparation. Meanwhile, Steve Sirk, the author of A Massive Season, a book about the 2008 Columbus crew, remembers how there was some concern from the national media after seeing how relaxed the team was. But, you know, the crew were just having a blast. I mean, they were all joking and laughing. And, yeah, I remember one day Alejandro Moreno's playing goalie while they're doing stuff. He's, like, diving all over the place, you know, trying to make saves. And Steve Lenhart came over, and I had to get a new recorder. So we went to, like, Fry's Electronic Store. Fry's is, like, the big electronic chain or something. And we went in, and there were, like, all of these, like, tiki huts and stuff inside the store which I thought was kind of weird, like you're selling electronics, and you're like, oh, here's like a grass hut. It's not really congruent with electronics. So I asked Steve, because, you know, he lives in California, and I'm, so I'm asking Steve, I'm like, what the hell? I went to Fry's, and there were like all these like grass huts inside. You know, He's like, oh, yeah, the one by my house has spaceships. Meanwhile, you know, the national media is gathered around, and Steve Lenhart and I are talking about like the decor at Fry's Electronics. They were kind of worried. They are like, oh, is this... Are these guys taking this seriously? You know, are they, you know, kind of overconfident? I don't know. I was just like, no. Like, this is just who they are. They're just like a loose bunch. They have a lot of fun. I mean, they they do their work, but I, like, I would be worried if they were being more, I guess, you know, quote unquote professional and, and laser focused or something. Like, because you knew they were going to perform on game day. They all liked each other and they all had a lot of fun together and they loved coming to training. And so I remember just trying to tell, some of the people that weren't around the team that much, you know, I'm sure for them, it's kind of a juicy story angle, right? Like, Ooh, the, you know, you kind of got, got a tortoise in the hair thing going. And I just remember I said, some people like, no, they'll, they'll be, they'll be ready. You know, this is, this is just how they are. The starting left back for that 2008 crew team, Gino Padula thought the crew's laid back approach was a key to success. I think sometimes it's good to don't think about soccer all the time. You are thinking about, oh, we have to win this game, we have to win this game, you have to win this game. You can put too much pressure on yourself. It's very important try to spend time with your family because I play in Argentina. In Argentina, when you play Sunday, you had to go to hotel Saturday. And from Saturday to Sunday, you are thinking about the game all the time. That's why I love, when I move to England, I love to be on the field, uh, on the stadium one and a half hour before the game. I had my lunch at home, and then I drove to the stadium, and I started thinking about the game one and a half hour before the game. So I know some fans, they were worried about that. We were not focused, but we knew we, we were over there to win the MLS Cup. 
in that trip, I talked to my wife. I said, I'm 100% sure we will bring the cup here because it's, you can smell. In the dressing room, you can smell. In the city, you, we had the confidence from, you know, I had confidence in Ravi Rocha. I had confidence with uh, Child Marshall. Everyone believe, trust in each other. So that, that is very important in any team. While Gino and the others were relaxed, the pressure was certainly there. Frankie Haydick recalls a moment where it all started to sink in. You started to feel the moment a little bit, you know. I remember just going, whoa, yeah, geez, this, this happened quick. We don't want anything else than a win. It can't work out any other way. So there was a moment there, and I was there just going, dude, is this for real? Like, this is crazy, and we're not fucking this up. We're, this, we're getting a championship, and, you know, I saw us holding the cup up before the game, and everything was working out to for us to, to hold that cup up. But when that happens, that's when shit normally goes the opposite way. Meanwhile, Duncan Outen felt that the crew had to be careful because they were the better team. And, and look, number one, we were playing New York. I felt good about playing New York. I think New York probably felt good they got to the final. I don't know if they were that good a team to get to the final. So well, look, it worked out perfectly for us. I think we were a better team. We knew we were a better team than New York. But that's also very dangerous in a one-off final, right? If you're too confident, if you step on the field thinking you've won, you're in big trouble. And our guys were never like that. And we did have that, that element of class with Guillermo's touch and that type of play. But we also had the element of heart and soul, the work ethic of Frankie Haydock, Alejandro Moreno, Brad Evans was class that year. Robbie was class. You know, there were so many guys. Like Chad Marshall was class nonstop the whole year. I mean, he was an absolute beast. It was just a group of guys that you just felt good. Like when they stepped on the field, like I was sitting back watching, I just felt like we were going to win. I didn't. I, there was no doubt. You're nervous. You have that nervous energy. But you just knew we were a better team. And you knew the guys that Ziggy put out there were going to get the job done. The two teams had played three times that season, with New York actually winning the two meetings in New Jersey. Yes, the New York Red Bulls play in New Jersey. The good news for the crew is they had given the drinks a pretty good thrashing in their lone game in Columbus, with the crew winning 3-1. to one. It's not that New York didn't have any good players. They certainly did. And those players could absolutely hurt you if you weren't careful. Dane Richards, a speedy winger from Jamaica, was always a threat to burn his defenders. Dave Vandenberg from the Netherlands was another winger who had a large frame and was technically gifted on the ball. Then, of course, there was Juan Pablo Angel. The Colombian-born forward had played for River Plate in Argentina before moving on to England, where he starred for Aston Villa, scoring 62 goals in 205 games. In 2007, the prodigious striker joined MLS, becoming a designated player for New York. In Juan Pablo Angel's first season, he didn't miss a beat scoring 19 goals and adding five assists in 24 league matches. His second season didn't get off to a great start, and he was hampered by some injuries. But late in the season, he rounded into form and looked once again like one of the best forwards in the league. As 2008 wound down, the Red Bulls were sitting in playoff position, but just barely. At the time, Major League Soccer let eight teams into the playoffs. The top three teams from the Eastern and Western Conference and then two additional teams who had the next best records, regardless of conference. New York had 39 points to end the season, good for the last playoff spot. However, D.C. United was right behind them heading into the final week, and with a win in their final game, they could knock the Red Bulls out and steal their playoff berth. 
As you might remember, D.C. lost their final game of the season to the Columbus Crew, which locked New York into the playoffs. With that, New York was placed into the Western Conference playoff bracket, which I realize is confusing, but, well, that's where they ended up. So a team from New York that plays in New Jersey was the Western Conference champions in 2008. Thank you, Major League Soccer. In the first round of the Western Conference playoffs, they had to face the two-time defending MLS Cup champion Houston Dynamo. After tying 1-1 to at home, New York went on the road and surprised everyone with a dominant 3-0 victory to advance to the Western Conference Final. The only way I can describe the Western Conference Final between Real Salt Lake and New York is it was astonishing. New York managed to goal in the 28th minute off the foot of Dave Vandenberg, but Real Salt Lake carried the play for most of the game in their home stadium. RSL managed chance after tantalizing chance, but they couldn't put one in the back of the net. They even had three separate shots hit the post. Somehow, New York escaped with a 1-0 victory. The lowest-seeded team in the playoffs had inexplicably made it all the way to MLS Cup. Cinderella stories are great, and a lot of sports fans live for them. New York certainly had one, but the crew wanted to make sure they crushed that glass slipper once and for all. Frankie Haydick felt like the crew were in a good spot due to the weather for the game. And I remember that morning waking up and morning of the game and it was perfect it was sunny it was hot it was exactly what i liked because i liked the heat i knew guillermo was used to the heat i knew uh gino was used to it. i know all those california guys were used to the to the heat and that if you remember that day it was very hot that day it was almost in the 90s and we played um i think at 12 the game was early it was an earlier game and for me that was another advantage because I don't like playing games at night, and there's a reason for that. I mean, we, we train every day as a professional athlete. You're out in the field by 10 o'clock, and you're training. And you're up, and you're gone, and you're getting your coffee, and you're, you're, you're ready to go. The one day a week that it's the most important day of the week for you, which is a, which is a game day, you play at 730 at night. So everything that your body is used to, that whole week, everything that you've done, on the day that's supposed to be the most important, you're doing the exact opposite of what your body did. One of my favorite surfers of all time, his name was Kelly Slater. And this was a big thing that I would say during that year. Um, Kelly Slater's won 11 world championships in surfing. He's the greatest surfer of all time. But I remember watching a video back in the day, and it stuck with me. And I would say this throughout the year. It was, it was hey, guys, no nerves, just amps. Just amps. Just fuck, There's no nerves, dude. Every, every bit of my nerve is just an amp. So I'm amped up and... That was that, that was that year, man. We were amped up all year. With that, it was game time. We'll relive the 2008 MLS Cup right after the break. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening to The Cup. A great deal of this podcast talks about the head coach of the crew in 2008, Siggy Schmidt. But sadly, Siggy passed away on Christmas Day of 2018. Many of the people you hear on this podcast were interviewed before Siggy's passing, or really even before many of them knew the issues he was dealing with. Still, everyone that I talked to spoke highly of Siggy Schmidt, and as you'll see throughout this podcast, his impact on soccer in the U.S. was tremendous. Siggy's family has asked that those who wish to honor his memory do so by donating to the men's soccer program at UCLA, and I think that's a great idea. Donations in memory of Siggy Schmidt can be directed to the attention of Emily Lerner of UCLA Athletics at 310-206-3302, or you can email her at elerner, L-E-R-N-E-R, at athletics.ucla.edu. I hope you consider doing that, and we're all going to miss Siggy. Thanks for everything, Coach.
Before we dive back into the 2008 season, let me tell you about Keep It Simple Socks. This is a Columbus-based company that makes cool socks with amazing designs on them. Sports-themed socks, they did the Save the Crew socks, plus tons of other really unique designs. And if you enjoy surprises, you can sign up to get a fresh pair every month with their subscription service, which I think is pretty cool. Plus, if you own a business, they'll help you come up with custom socks with your logo on them or a clever saying or whatever you want. You could give them out as gifts for your employees. You could use them for marketing. You could try to, I don't know, put a business card on them. I don't think that'll work, but give it a shot. Anyway, think outside the box and think inside the socks with your organization by getting some custom socks from Keep It Simple. Check them out today when you buy a pair of socks from Keep It Simple. On the order form, there's a little box at the bottom where you can leave a note. Tell me you heard about Keep It Simple through the Cup Podcast. You can do that again at keepitsimplesocks.com. Today on a gorgeous Southern California afternoon, we will crown a first-time Major League Soccer champion. The Columbus Crew, led by league MVP Guillermo Barros-Scaloto and SoCal native Frankie Haydick, were tops in MLS at the end of the regular season. Their opponent, the New York Red Bulls, didn't make the playoffs until the last day of the season. But Colombian Juan Pablo Angel has them 90 minutes away from the franchise's first title. The stage was set in Hollywood for a massive ending to the crew's storybook year. Hundreds of Columbus fans had taken over the same corner of the Home Depot Center as they normally inhabited back in Crew Stadium. SoCal Nordeca, if you will. As the game got underway, Steve Cirk noticed that New York was looking dangerous. You know, New York, you know, the first 20 minutes, I mean, they had a lot of chance. I mean, they, they weren't putting anything on goal. I mean, they were you know, hitting shots over the bar, but I mean, they had chances. Vandenberg looking for Angel. Juan Pablo Angel, nice cutting ball. Vandenberg, the cross, a slip in the box. Warwick looks for it, so does Hesmer, and they both go hard for it. Both original teams in their 13th MLS season. Richards on the rock, leaves it. Warwick fires, too high. Cross from Vandenberg. A couple of players are there, but so is Hesmer. Vandenberg, towards the near post, flip wide. An opportunity was there. It looked like Goldthwait from the far side. I think Juan Pablo and Howell in particular had one where, I, I mean, I thought it was going to be a goal, and he just skied it. Warwick nods one off Hayden, came right back to him, keeps it alive as he settles it down 35 yards out. Good help by Evans to step up and help Hayden. Now Hayden running with Richards trying to cut in on the area, got around Marshall Richards, swings in one. It's Angel who shot it over the bar, who was waiting for it just to the right of the penalty spots. Dane Richards has crept in twice and almost made the crew pay dearly once more with Angel, the most lethalist of strikers, open. Yep, we talked at the uh, pregame show about the ability of Vandenberg to serve balls in in the pace of Dane Richards, and we've seen both of those things be effective for New York through the opening half hour of play. As you heard on the ABC and local broadcast, the crew were put into some dangerous positions. Some of those chances for New York were generated by Dane Richards. The speedy winger was the key to connecting passes from the back of the New York formation to the top of it, where the always dangerous Juan Pablo Angel was lurking. The crew knew they needed to slow down Dane Richards, and that task fell in part to Gino Padula. I, I played against Richard before during the regular season, and I know how fast he was, but be fast is no be smart. If you are smart, you can beat fast faster players. So I knew I could, not just me, nobody couldn't compete on the speed against that player because he was very fast. What I tried to do, I, I, I talked to Robbie Rogers and I talked to Danny to say, okay, we need to mark in that guy 
give me a hand because 1v1, he can beat me on the speed. So this is a way you have to build in teams. Try to trust in your teammate, try to help each other. And I think the entire team did a very good job. Like you say, he didn't have a very good game uh, because I think my teammates did a very good job and, and I put my part. That game specifically, Ziggy, you know, it was him and us going, hey, let's force him inside. And normally you want to force the guy outside, but that was his bread and butter was he would tuck you in and then take that touch outside and then boom, he was by you and then he was getting a cross off with his right foot, which was his strength foot. Well, what happens when you force him inside and now all of a sudden his left foot's not that good anyways and now he's starting to have to dribble with his left foot? Well, you saw nothing. He couldn't do it. We forced him inside as much as we could and inside meant there was numbers. So basically, we're just forcing them in to Daniel Rourke or Chad or Brian Carroll or whoever it was that was helping that side out. So we wanted him just to go inside every time. So, I mean, Gino, basically, you see that game. He's basically just on the line going, here you go, dude, go that way. And because and the guy, he would beat Gino inside, but then he was just going into six of us in there ready for him. And he was on his opposite foot, which, um, you know, his left foot, which was, was uh, for a fast guy. Um, you're normally one-footed if you're fast, and you can just take off. But once you hit, that other foot slows you down, and that was typical of, of Dane, and that was Ziggy just noticing, hey, dude, we're going to help Gino out, and this is how. One of the things that Dane Richards had to deal with was Gino Padula's mental games. Yeah, of course. I have to use my mouth sometimes to intimidate the, the other player because inside the field you can say whatever you want, outside the field... It's a different story, but I talk to him all the time. I say, don't try to pass me because you, you will not play next year. And he talked to the ref, say, hey, ref, do you hear what he say about my knee, about you want to kick me, whatever? And I talk in Spanish with the ref. I say, sorry, I'm not speaking English. <laughs> and I, I was living in England for eight years, and I, I speak a, a good English, but I say, I don't know what he talked about me because I don't speak English. And the referee talked to me in Spanish, so I tried to avoid any conflict with the referee. The broadcast microphones picked up one of those testy interactions. Down the right side, Richard. Ball knocked out of bounds by Padula, and it's off of the crew. Excuse me, it's off of the New York attacker and a throw-in for Columbus. And Padula and Dane Richards doing a little extra drawing. Mr. Toledo calls him together. The RA is there. field audio allowing us to hear that conversation between Dane Richards and Gino Padula. And it was just a silly conversation because nobody got anything. Both players were asking for an explanation. They never got it. Baltimore Toledo just wanted them to swap sweat in the palms of their hands. This is something I was looking before the game. Tried to put Richard outside the game because I knew he was a very good player. It, it, it can cause us some problems in the right side. So especially with uh, the central forward, Angel. Um, they have a very good player on top. So it's, it's part of the Argentinian culture. Try to talk to the players all the time. Suddenly, Gino had a big problem on his hands, and it wasn't Dane Richards. The game was, I think, 0-0. And after 20, 25 minutes, I played a long ball. 
to one of the forwards and I feel a very bad pain in my knee and I was on the ground for around five minutes and I asked the doctor how, how long we have left he said around 15 20 minutes I said, okay I tried to finish the first half despite the injury Gino Padula remained in the game in the 31st minute he and the rest of the black and gold got a big lift from Alejandro Moreno. Vandenberg slowed down, right in front of the Columbus bench, taken away. Skeloto immediately finds Moreno. Alejandro Moreno against Jimenez, goes to the outside. Moreno, the shot by Post, off the post and in. Alejandro Moreno scores for Columbus. So again, we're talking about speed. We're talking about Dane Richards' speed. Here's Alejandro, who's, you know, maybe as fast as Gino. And he's the one doing like a speed dribble at the defense. This is uncharacteristic for him. He kind of turned the defender around, and then he noticed that Danny Sapero just took a horrific angle. And Alejandro said he was actually he was looking for Robbie Rogers. Robbie Rogers was running, and he was trying to find an angle to get the ball to Robbie. And when he picked his head up, you know, he didn't see a way to get to Robbie. But when he, at the same time, he was like, "Wait, that's like that's the far post, and it's wide open." The half ended with the crew holding a one-goal lead. 45 minutes stood between them and the first cup in team history. In the dressing room, Siggy Schmidt checked on his ailing left back. We finished up one nothing, And at halftime, Siggy asked me how I feel, and I say, I will do whatever they need to play the next 45 minutes. The doctor put me two shots here, and also he gave me four pills. And that was funny because I say to Siggy, please doesn't matter how I'm feeling. Don't put me out from this game. And if not, I will be mad with you. And I never talked to a coach like that. But I think Siggy, he realized how much I want to play that game. And with that help, with the, with the two shots and the, and the medicine, I feel good uh, in the second half. But I remember that night I couldn't walk. That was the final game. I have three, four months of recovery, so I didn't care. If I have to have a surgery, I can have a surgery, it's fine. But I want to finish that game on the field. Early in the second half, though, Dane Richards was able to carve out an opening. And he found former crew player John Wallenick streaking into the box. Tapped over towards Richards against Padula. Dane Richards, nice caught. Slotted it through to Wallenick, and New York has tied it. John Wallenick against his former team. I, you know, I didn't really feel a uh, momentum change at that point. You know, normally after a goal, you know, you feel uh, that the other team scores are like, oh my gosh, they just got confident. But it was almost like we, we woke up again. He scored that goal, and I was just like, well, it just kind of sucks. We lost the shutout. But <laughs> that was about the extent of it. It, it. I really was not that worried. In a way, it just felt like after surviving that Chicago game, like, there's just no way they can lose. Like, if they could survive that pressure, giving up the first goal in those circumstances, and just brush that aside and, and take care of business, you know, maybe, I guess, you know, maybe a John Wallenick goal doesn't seem as daunting. It seems weird to say, but the goal that tied MLS Cup didn't seem to worry many of the people I talked to for this podcast at the time. They all say they felt a quiet confidence that the crew would be able to respond. But despite that confidence, I don't think any of them knew just how quick the response would be, including the broadcasters. You can hear Dwight Burgess and Neil Sika on the local broadcast discussing the goal from Wallenick as Guillermo lines up for a corner kick a moment later in front of the SoCal Nordeca. So a new ball game in minute 52. Columbus attacking on the right side. 
Scalotto plays the ball towards the end line after it is Eddie Gavin. The ball is knocked away and out of bounds, and it'll be a corner kick for the Columbus crew. Now you knew it wasn't going to be a joyride for the second 45. New York was going to throw everything they had. And it hits early, and we've seen Columbus respond so many times this season, and either allowing a goal to put them in a deficit or even to tie. 53rd minute. Ball in. Header! 2-1! Marshall! They were all looking for Chad Marshall on the set piece late in the first half. Scalotto just didn't get a very good ball off. This time he did. And your defender of the year strikes again. I would say that's an appropriate answer for Siggy squad. It was like a bullet off of his head. And that goal was weird because it just kind of, ha- I was just like, whoa, like it went in. Like, and then they get the equalizer, like, all right, we're now, now we're right back in it. And then their fans aren't even done cheering, celebrating the goal, and are down 2-1. to one. Look, Chad, to this day, whether we speak every day or we don't speak for a year, when we get together, it was like we were together yesterday. You know, he's one of those guys I, I hold close to my heart. I love that guy. So for me, when he, any time he scored, it was awesome because he, he's just such a big kid and he's just, he's like a 12-year-old in a huge body with a big dome on top. So he does these like, you know, dances and stuff. And it's kind of funny. Chad's goal gets all the recognition in the conference final, even though Eddie's goal was the winner. And in MLS Cup, Chad's goal is the winner and no one even like the least memorable of the three and certainly is overshadowed by the goal that follows. So, you know, I, I guess Chad kind of evened out in terms of game-winning goals and, and which goal got the notoriety. The crew had taken the lead after the Marshall Thunderstrike on yet another assist from Guillermo. Now they had to protect the lead. One way Frankie Haydick helped to do that was by running one of the best players for New York, Dave Vandenberg, all over the field. He had been, you know, that year he was plenty of goals and plenty of assists and he cheat he was a guy that cheated a little bit and so that was an interesting battle too because I was a guy that liked, liked to run forward and he didn't like to track back. So if I ran forward, I I, I, I had to make stuff count. And you know, I, I remember the first half, I mean I remember going, Oof. Okay, here we go. And I, I think I got my wind a little bit more the second half. I don't know if I lost a ball the second half, but I gave a couple away in the first half, I believe. But I remember watching the second half over again and going, all right, okay, that was that was more of my, my style of half. Well, we still t- I saw that guy hit him years later, and they were introducing myself and him at, to U.S. soccer. And he, he, it, he still remembered that moment. He goes, yes, this is the guy that made me run up and down the field in a final that I didn't want to run in. <laughs> As the Red Bull players were trying to get back on the board, Guillermo Barros-Scalotto almost ended the game in the 77th minute with a stunning strike that slammed the crossbar. And that left his foot. I thought that was a goal. And I was like, okay, like that's it. Game over. And the ball hit the crossbar and came out. We were in the radio booth. Brian Bliss just let out a big MF-er at like the top of his lungs. He's like, oh, those mics don't pick up anything. I was like, oh, come on. Like, you screamed it. Like, so he and I were, like, arguing about whether whether it got picked up on the on the radio or not. And it's funny. I actually went back and listened to the audio, and, yeah, you couldn't hear it. Whatever you guys do in the radio business, I mean, your microphones are good, focusing on what it needs to focus on, because he screamed that at the top of his lungs, and it didn't get picked up at all. Well, here, take a listen to the broadcast and see if you can hear the Brian Bliss F-bomb for yourself. Moreno down the left side, working against Mendez, tries to turn the corner, can't get into the box, slows, looks up, continues on the dribble, Scalotto's open to his right as Gavin, Scalotto's going to shoot, Scalotto off the cross, 
far. He saw the goalkeeper, Sapiro, off his line. He went over his head. He had him. In the 82nd minute, a play happens that you've no doubt seen if you're a crew fan. Frankie Hadick scores to put the game out of reach by heading in a tremendous pass from Guillermo Barros-Skilotto. That pass to Frankie, I mean, first of all, what's Frankie even doing? But the Guiche even saw him. It could not have been a more perfect pass. And it was a pass that probably nobody else would have even seen to make. Just Guiche. <laughs> Just Guiche. Because I remember we need to try to score that goal because 2-1 is not enough. You can see that goal, nobody followed Frankie. And, and Guiche put the perfect ball to him. So, and after that goal, we, we knew it. No, exactly. That's what Guiche, you can see why he's loved by Boca, because he's really, really good at soccer ball. And also in saying that, it was an amazing pass. But who makes a 100-yard run from right back and could get there? No one except Frankie Hayden. In case you've never seen this play, Frankie Haydick comes from out of nowhere to head home a pass that flies about 15 feet in the air over a defender, but drops in front of the New York goalkeeper. It lands perfectly on Frankie's forehead. You or I or most humans couldn't do that if we tried for an hour to loft a ball perfectly into a stationary bucket, let alone to make that pass in that moment to a guy who shouldn't have even been on that spot of the field. Pretty much ever since I'd seen this goal, I had a lot of questions. What was going through Frankie Hadick's mind during this sequence? Why did he decide to make that run? How did he stay on side? And was this all just an extreme amount of luck, or did that sequence occur because of a well-thought-out plan? His answer was better than I could have imagined. So, here's Frankie Hadick. And I think it was Robbie Rogers who hits a crossball to Eddie Gavin, I mean, we had practiced that in training with Ziggy uh, countless times and fucked it up. And the one time where it was uh, it was going to pay off, I mean, that ball that Robbie hits, that is not an easy ball when he switches it all the way across to Eddie and Eddie dribbles inside. And then I think Alejandro gets in there. But it was this boom, and all of a sudden it's at Guillermo's feet, and I'm making that run. And you know who wasn't following me? Dave Vandenberg. <laughs> I've been scolded from my coaches for years for, for doing that same thing as an outside back defender, 80th, 8, 85th, 88th minute. What the hell are you doing in their box? We're winning the game two to one. Uh, you don't know how many times I heard that. And I, I you know, my response, I, I don't know. I, I, I played the game just how I saw it. And um, it might've been a little bit naive at that point to, and even throughout my whole career, not to really realize the time, but that was just what I did. And when I got the green light that year from Ziggy, hey, you go whenever you want to. The simple fact that I think, you know, he understood that I would get back and I could get back and I didn't get tired. I didn't wear out. Um, but, you know, Ziggy was the one who gave me the green light um, that that whole year. And we had that set up. I mean, if I would go and I'd get caught up, Brian Carroll would slide over for me and almost become that right right back. We knew that I was going to do that. And that I'd made that run a million times in my whole career and never scored a goal. And never scored. And that was maybe the coach's point. That one time that I finally did in the biggest game of my life, that ball, I mean, I, like I said, I, I've been, I'd made that, it's almost like I made that run a million times just for that moment. Gij knew that I made that run. That's in, he, he, that's why he 
he did that ball. He knew he didn't. He wasn't even looking at me. And uh, that whole year, he had to yell, hear me yelling, Kizze, 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 as I was making that run. And half the time, I never got it. And I'd run back on Kizze, and you know, and look at him go, God, because I just made a seventy-yard run. And I always thought you said, you know, you a guy makes a seventy-yard run, you 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 pay him for it. And there had been countless times where I'd made that run, and I didn't get it from him. And but he saved it for for that moment. He he paid me back, and he paid us back for it, and um, uh, and he paid Columbus back for it in 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 the ball of a lifetime. I had to kind of go to the side to stay on sides, and that's why I always said, man, I, I'm a forward, man. A forward makes you you to teeter the line. You have to teeter the line as defenders. You know that, but you see forwards always run off sides, and um, on that play, I teeter the line um as much as I can, and you know that's kind of why that play even happens because if I keep running straight and I normally get it where I wanted it there, I'm off sides. Guillermo waited until I ran inside and knew I'm going to put the ball inside because in my mind, I should have gotten it when I was overlapping out wide to cross it. And, I, and all of a sudden, I'm like, well, I can't go anymore because I'm going to be off sides too late. I tuck inside, I make an inside, and just to, the way he played it, just lofted enough where the goalie's like, oh, I can come get that in a stupid spot because it was, really wasn't. The goalkeeper should have not even come out there. But when the ball's in the air like that, it's like a little flick. Like, as a goalkeeper, you can't stay in. And, man, it, it, it was ended up being the, the most perfect ball ever because the timing of it was enough so that I'd got there like almost a second, you know, a half second before as the ball's coming – I close my eyes because I think I'm just going to get punched in the face from the goalkeeper coming out. And you can see that. I, I like, I boom, and I hesitate, but I keep running. And, and he played it perfectly enough where it was further enough out with the goalkeeper, he couldn't even come and get it. He suckered him in so bad, and I wasn't going to get nailed. It was like, it was, I mean, was, if you're talking about the most perfect ball ever in a final to ice the cake uh, in a dream, for me at least, that, that was probably it. Sliding to the ground, but getting a foot to it is Evans. Played to Rogers, and then a beautiful ball to the weak side over the top of the defense. 1v1. It's Moreno working with Gavin. It's a bad pass, but Moreno wins it back. Gavin again. Plays Scalotto. Scalotto to the box. Hedick! Hitter! It's in! 3-1! He may have been offside, but it doesn't matter. MVP. 
Well, I remember because I, I hit the ball and it, it's almost bouncing. You know, it's slowly bouncing in. I'm like, and there's no one really coming in to save it. I'm like looking out just to make sure the guy's not going to come and slide and save it. I'm like, well, that was close to being offsides. Uh, and I look back at Robbie and I don't even, uh, Robbie Rogers was there. And I see Robbie looking at the linesman to see if it was offsides. He looks over to see and he goes, and I see him jump up, and right then I knew that then, and I'm going the wrong way, you know. I, I to this day I wish I would have scored and freaking ran over to the Nordic, you know, because I didn't know if it was offsides. I remember still running, looking at him, and once he jumped up in the air, and I think Gino was behind him. They were both jumping in the air. I just went to the side. I remember this Iro was there. I gave Iro a big hug, but I also remember not seeing anyone jump behind them like it wasn't like a big you know like a yeah we scored so i was like I'm, I'm, there was a moment where i'm like I, I scored i think right and then our two but i scored and i ran to the red bulls you know fan base so of course they weren't going to jump up in the air but in my mind fans should have been jumping up in the air because i scored so i was like i was like i half confused half like it was a dreamy state for about you know seemed like five seconds in slow motion like really um and i remember it in my brain like slow motion to be honest um even the jump that robbie did and then i just remember hugging iro and hugging all of our guys and just putting my hands in the air i didn't know what to do and just going what the fuck did that just happen dude and then that was late in the game and it was over frankie's right despite a couple of late flurries the red bulls were never in serious position to come back after that third goal as the moments ticked away the man who had been a part of crew broadcast since the team's inception, Dwight Burgess, made the call everyone was waiting for. Throw in Columbus. The Hunt Sports Group gathering behind the crew bench. Clark Hunt, who referenced his father Lamar prior to kickoff, about to accept the championship trophy. The balance of this one is on the wristwatch of the referee. And there it is! The Columbus Crew are champions of Major League Soccer! Thirteen long years, the Crew faithful have stood by their team. The start of 2008, head coach Siggy Schmidt said, our number one goal is to make the playoffs. Siggy, you did it. You made the playoffs. You won the Supporters' Shield. And you are the champions of Major League Soccer. Columbus has their professional sports franchise title and crew players celebrated as one would expect out on the field. Dunk it out and summed up perfectly what it meant to be a part of the first crew team to win MLS Cup. You play to win. That's all I ever played for. It didn't matter if it was a practice, pickup game, and I think there was a lot of like-minded individuals on that team. They played to win. We would play 5v2 and you played not to be in the middle and you played hard. You we played small-sided games before training, you know, which was one thing Ziggy implemented that I really liked. You know, you just go out and start playing. Two goals down, you're on this team, you're on this team. Grab a penny when you rock up to the field, which team needs a player. And although it was fun and you were kind of clearing your head before training, guys wanted to win. 
so we did it so you know i guess a sense of like accomplishment relief ecstasy you know like just everything and for me having been given so much from columbus and the fans and you know you talked about the hooligans and guys like that it was almost like it's about time they deserve that yeah we'd won supporter shields yeah we'd won the open cup but this was like what everyone wanted it's what ultimately in the american sports world and our sport is the championship this is the title at the end of the day it's what everyone remembers they don't remember who got runner-up who won the supporter shield who did this who did that they remember who walked away with the mls cup and so finally it had happened the perfect blend of ingredients of guys you know you felt like it could happen but you have to always have that feeling right that feeling of optimism like you're going to win and you know when it happened it was like like i said just so many different emotions with the team media family and fans gathered on the field major league soccer commissioner don garber made it official i want to really especially give a thank you to the hunt family for their support of major league soccer and for their commitment to the sport of soccer in america and now it's my distinct pleasure to present the philip f anschutz trophy to the captain of the columbus crew Guillermo Barros Escaloto. Or Frankie Hayden. No! <laughs> that was a weird moment, too, because I wasn't really listening uh, that much. But I remember, you know, I remember, you know, I was captain, and, you know, Don Garber said, you know, hey, the captain, uh, Guillermo, and... You know, you can see Guillermo like he's he he like instantly like goes back a little bit like he he wasn't taking that you know and I wasn't even really hearing what he's saying but I I know that you know they hand the cup cup off to the captain so I I just grabbed it you know I think Don Garber got some crap for that after I remember him he actually scolding uh, another guy because but I don't know. Why it was the other guy's fault? <laughs> he should have known who that. I mean, like I said, he, maybe he got confused just because there were so many captains that year, and Guillermo was definitely one of them. I was one of them. Danny was one. I mean, you could have named that whole team, and it was a bunch of captains. So anyone, uh, uh, you know, had the right to grab that trophy right there. You know, maybe Don Garber had trouble recognizing Frankie Hadick as the captain because Frankie Hadick didn't seem like a typical captain. But from day one in Columbus, Siggy Schmidt asked the surfer dude from SoCal, the one he coached at UCLA, to lead the team he was building. One of the most skeptical people on that particular move was Frankie Hadick. This was all Ziggy's plan, um, believe me. I mean, he came to me, he goes, hey, Frankie, um, you know, and I wasn't captain when he first came there. I needed to be um, captain. I said, Sid, I'm like, come on, dude. You know, I, I go, I, I'm, I'm the guy that's late for every meeting. I'm the guy who's scrambling just to, to get to wherever I'm at. I'm like, that's not, I mean, you, that's not a captain. I'm like, I can help the captain, but, uh, you know, the, the captain needs to be on time. The captain needs to be, you know, he needs to be the guy. He's like, Frankie, he looked at me. He goes, don't worry about that. For this to work, you need to be the captain of this team. And I remember saying, I looked at him. I go, really? I go, Zig, Really? You know, I, I, he was my college coach. He knew me from college, you know, and I was the opposite of the captain. He put me as Brad Friedel's roommate when I first went to UCLA as a freshman because I was always late. And he was like, Friedel was a guy. No one messed with Friedel, you know. I go, Zig, that, you know, I'm not, I'm, Friedel is the type of guy. That's the captain type, you know, the guy, he's not late for anything. He's, he's on, 
you're, you're going to be the captain, and this is how it's going to work, Frankie. And I need this. And I, I remember just look, see, look at him and going, really, is it? He goes, yeah. He goes, this, this, is, this is how it's going to work. I said, all right. And it took off from there. I took it in a way that, okay, if I'm going to be the captain, I'm going to still be me. And I, but, and, and I'm going to be late a couple times, but I'm going to make jokes out of it. And, but we're going to have a lot of barbecues and we're going to have a lot of food and we're going to have a lot of fun times at my place or whoever's house it is. I'm going to designate uh, every weekend where to go, where we're going to. And that's how it worked. In a way, uh, I think Zingy envisioned that, that. And we all took it in a good way because it, it, it relaxed the team more. You know, they knew that, dude, you know, the captain's, the captain's going to be a little bit late or the captain's going to be this way. If we were late, we were late as a team, put it that way. It was it was me calling guys because we were, uh, you know, we, we were we had a barbecue the night before and going, hey, guys, if we're going to all be late, we're going to be late together and I'm going to be late. Is it how you guys? And we would all call each other and, hey, guys, everyone up. And um, it was that type of team that um, we, we were there for each other. The 2008 season was a success. The crew hoisted the cup. They accomplished everything they set out to do. And as we've hammered home time and time again on this podcast, that vision was brought to reality by Siggy Schmidt. Which is why it pains me to remind you that the 2008 MLS Cup will be the last time Siggy Schmidt ever coached the Columbus crew. Stay tuned for a quick preview of next week's episode. But first, I want to say thanks again to all of you for listening. You've made this experience so rewarding, and I truly appreciate all the feedback. And as I say every week, if you haven't done this yet, leave a review for the podcast wherever you can. It actually helps other people find this podcast. Obviously, iTunes is the best place to do that. But if the podcast app you use lets you leave a review, please do it. Also, I can't say enough thanks to my wife, Melissa. She has been incredible. Uh, if you see her at a crew game, definitely say thanks to her because she's been <laughs> really nice to let me get away with all this time away from the family to make this podcast. I also want to thank Todd Markowitz and Cody Welling at 97.1 The Fan who believed in this project. And, of course, my good buddy John Zadar who did all the artwork for this podcast as well as our logo. You can follow John at the Zadar on Twitter. Big thanks also goes out to all the guests who gave their time to help tell this story. Uh, special thanks goes out to Neil Sika for access to his audio archive. So all those calls you've heard of him and Dwight, that's uh, thanks to Neil. All the game audio has been used by permission from Columbus Crew SC as well as ESPN. So a big thank you to both of them. And lastly, we are proud to welcome KeepItSimpleSocks.com as a sponsor. Big thanks to them for getting behind this project. Evan's going to tell you more about them, and then you'll get a preview of the final episode. Thanks again for listening. So you're looking for a unique way to show off your company, organization, or event, right? You're drowning in unwanted branded pens, stress balls, and sunglasses? The guys at Keep It Simple Socks have the solution you're looking for. They are your custom sock experts based right out of Central Ohio, specializing in working with you to create and supply your own custom designs. Head on over to Keep It Simple Socks today. That's KeepItSimpleSocks.com today and get started on working with their designers on creating your own unique custom design sock to stand out from the crowd. Put your best foot forward with Keep It Simple Socks today. Duncan running around with the Clippers, trying to cut off people's hair. I get the chart going. Naked Cutwheel. Naked Capsule. The boys get it going, you know. This team, in this moment, went through two expansion drafts, which were gut punches. And I see uh, Robert Warzihood, and he's in the parking garage by himself. 
and he's kind of pacing around and just kind of looks forlorn a little bit. And I, you know, I parked the car and Bobby, what, what are you doing out here, man? You know, there's a party going on there. I'm just kind of shrugged and said, oh, no, I'm, I'm fine. He decided to kind of throw the ball up into the air and, and head it back to himself. And the photographer got a great shot of him with the ball just above his head and the, the crew logo. 